Welcome to the discussion, Cybersecurity, Ensuring Successful Security Outcomes, sponsored by Optiv and Checkpoint. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome to the discussion. My guests today are Jonathan Feibest, the Chief Information Security Officer at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Stephen Hernandez, the Chief Information Security Officer and Director of Information Assurance Services at the Education Department, Linus Baker, the Director of Cybersecurity at the Defense Logistics Agency, Kenneth McNeil, the Chief Information Officer at the National Guard Bureau, and Jeff Schwartz, the Vice President of North America Engineering at Checkpoint. Gentlemen, welcome to the discussion. Thank you. Before we get started, let me set just a little bit of context for our conversation today. It wouldn't be surprising if every morning Federal Chief Information Security Officers look in the mirror and remind themselves, I don't need any more cybersecurity tools. Just think of, you may remember this from their old Saturday Night Live character, Stuart Smalley, a little self-affirmation never hurts. But the fact is agencies have been buying tools and more tools to address cybersecurity challenges over the past 25 years. And even some vendors are saying enough is enough. The fact is endpoint cyber tools are only as good as both the developer created them and how the agency has implemented them. CompTIA, the industry association wrote in a blog post recently that by taking a platform approach to cybersecurity, organizations can start treating cyber tools as part of an integrated, functional and scalable strategy. There is a growing call, whether through continuous diagnostics and mitigation or the CDM program, or through the move to a zero trust framework, agencies are starting to recognize why this platform concept is the future of cybersecurity. Now to achieve this platform approach, agencies need to consider how they take full advantage of automation and orchestration so tools can talk to each other and provide real-time data to security experts. And this concept also gives agencies a leg up when it comes to managing cyber risk because they can focus on tools, people, and processes on the most important technology and mission assets. So what will it take to move agencies to this platform approach so they can potentially reduce the number of point products, better control and use funding, and ensure future budget requests are hitting the mark to address mission challenges? Well, that's where our panelists again come in. Once again, they are Jonathan Fibus, the Chief Information Security Officer at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Stephen Hernandez, the Chief Information Security Officer and Director of Information Assurance Services at the Education Department, Linus Baker, the Director of Cybersecurity at the Defense Logistics Agency, Kenneth McNeil, the Chief Information Officer at the National Guard Bureau, and Jeff Schwartz, the Vice President of North American Engineering at Checkpoint. Steve, I'm gonna to turn to you to ask uh, this first question, which goes to the, cyber, the, the approach to cybersecurity and how are you focusing on outcomes versus just, hey, I met FISMA goals or I met CDM goals? Now, it's a great question, Jason, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned FISMA as part of this because uh, one of the things Congress recognized from the initial FISMA, meaning the Management Act, versus the FISMA 2014, which is the Modernization Act, is that there had to be this shift from compliance focus over to effectiveness and outcomes focused. And so in the FISMA of 2014, the Modernization Act, we see that there's this emphasis on making sure that when the Inspector General comes in and looks at how an agency's doing, they're looking at how effective is the program. And that's a huge paradigm shift because before that, it was, have you looked at 853, this massive catalog of like 700 or 800 control points, and you know, have you met every single one? Let's go down that checklist. Now the IG is challenged with coming in and saying, hey, um, you know, that's certainly part of the discussion, but is it effective? Because the challenge is, as everyone around this table will attest to, you can meet all 800 checkpoints and still have a breach. The compliance does not necessarily equal managed risk in an operational theater. And I think that the compliance is important. There are some bare minimum things that we all should be doing. I, I don't think anyone would argue it's a bad idea to apply encryption to sensitive information. That's just a, a fundamental, yeah, we all ought to be doing that. Um, but there are other areas where we go beyond that compliance and say, not only do I need to encrypt that data, I should actually be tagging it, monitoring it, and I should be able to have non-repudiation of who's accessing it. And that's where we really get into that conversation of effectiveness. So I think the conversation is headed in the right direction. I really resonate with your discussion around tools because tools give us a wash, a sea of data to work with around compliance and around effectiveness. But we have to have the processes and the people in place to make sense of it. Otherwise, we've just automated a very complex compliance uh, approach. That's yeah, you know, up. and just just to add to, to Stephen's comments, what I would offer is I, I think that what we're seeing is that we're past the tipping point of compliance being a lowest common denominator of uh, a boundary layer requirements to, to a, a, a position where we need to provide uh, more modernization and a platform-based approach to 
uh, providing more tangible security outcomes. And what that looks like is uh, maintaining confidentiality, maintaining availability, and maintaining integrity of assets. But as institutions adopt more modern approaches to uh, information sharing, collaboration with uh, peer institutions and other uh, third-party organizations, uh, that securing an S3 bucket is very, very different than securing, uh, you know, something in a more traditional storage container in, inside a data center. And the, the controls to uh, apply in these more modern approaches re require a level of agility uh, that the organization can both move quickly, but also be able to provide uh, very thorough levels of, of security that, you know, as, as the lowest common denominator, provide uh, compliance adherence, but also provide tangibly better security outcomes. Jeff, let me follow up with you on that because I think, as you said, we're past the tipping point of compliance. Where do you see when you talk to agency customers, when you talk to the federal organizations, are, are they getting that or is you getting more of the, we have to lean toward compliance, but we're getting pulled toward effectiveness? Yeah, I mean, I think it varies by uh, agency and institution. I think that uh, every, every organization is defined by their resources um, their capabilities and their priorities. And some organizations have prioritized uh, in accordance with this uh, changing world. And others, uh, you know, from a resource perspective are severely constrained to be able to adequately reprioritize. So it is, there is a cultural aspect to this, but um, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a function of um, these uh, resources, priorities, and um, 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 the capabilities of the, uh, the, the in-house resources. Linus, let me bring you in from DLA because like you and uh, Mr. McNeil, which I'll bring in next, you all have a culture issue that's different because uh, within the Defense Department, uh, when something says do it, you hopefully it gets done fairly quickly. So maybe talk about DLA's perspective when it comes to your cybersecurity and how you guys are ensuring you're not moving toward uh, just compliance, but really effectiveness. No, and, and this, is a, this is a very good topic. And, and one thing I will say about it in terms of the Department of Defense, Compliance uh, for years uh, was the gold standard. Um, uh, it was the gold standard based on, you know, regulation, uh, certain processes that were put in place uh, through DISA and Cyber Command. So we would have command cyber readiness inspections, and they were all driven uh, towards compliance uh, with uh, certain controls, certain requirements, uh, certain mandates. Um, one of the things we've seen over the last few years um, is we kind of have taken our eye off the ball in terms of the mission, um, um, understanding that, that cyber operations, IT, it's, it's a strategic asset, uh, and we need to, uh, to uh, apply uh, the same principles we apply to our logistics operations to the strategic asset. So what we've done recently is uh, we've, we've taken steps to identify what we consider key cyber terrain, or what we phrase in the department, mission-relevant cyber terrain. Um, and we've tried to prioritize, prioritize our remediation efforts, prioritize our detection and response efforts to those things that are crown jewels, to those things that could result in mission failure if compromised or exploited. Now, that doesn't mean we ignore the rest of the ecosystem uh, in terms of uh, the network um, and other uh, utilities and services that are hosted on that network. However, when it comes to resourcing, we have to have an effective balance of where we manage, where we accept risk, where we attempt to manage risk and remediate it. So I, I do think that that shift has already occurred, um, but there was a time when compliance was indeed the gold standard. And I think we've made a, a significant change. Now, one of the, one of the issues we struggle with um, is really understanding the business enough from an IT perspective, in, because in many ways, we've been siloed off. Right, you know, you've got the IT guys, you know, you perform that technical mission. And then we've got the, the logisticians or the functionals on the business side who really don't have a clear understanding of how their mission is being enabled and how their mission could be affected uh, uh, should uh, those, those uh, IT capabilities be degraded or become, become inoperable. So I think that, that mission assurance piece of things is also a tie to the outcome-based uh, principle you discussed. Just a quick follow-up. When you said you recently have taken steps to identify key cyber terrain, without going into obviously sensitive issues, how have you done that? Have you done a survey of your mission areas? Have you have you said what are your high-value assets that you can't live without? Give me a sense. Yeah. 
So one of the things we did as an initial step was we, we worked with the logistics operations side of the house to have them basically decompose their mission. And so DLA manages nine separate supply chains on behalf of the department. Um, and that's a $40 billion uh, uh, department uh, slice there that we're talking about. So we're essentially the Walmart for the Department of Defense. Uh, and so what we've done is every business process that supports all of those supply chains, we had our logistics operations group, we worked in tandem with them, decomposed those missions all the way down to every mission essential function, to every um, task supporting element within that function. And we've been able to, to draw linkages to enabling IT capabilities that drive uh, those, those business processes. So with that, we conducted an operational risk assessment when we derived that information from what we call the business process analysis. Um, and we began to identify points of failure or choke points within those business processes and as it relates to IT. And so we've identified a certain list of what we've deemed no-fail capabilities that we have to have redundancy um, built into. We have to, we have to have contingency plans ready and tested uh, so that in the event uh, of a degradation or an outage, um, there's alternate business processes that can be kickstarted. So all that's still a work in process. Uh, it's very good for not only the department to understand that as we, you know, we operate on a community of interest network uh, called the Doden uh, within the department. So they have to, before they execute defensive cyber uh, measures, they have to understand what's important to us and what could be possibly affected. So it's not just a DLA issue. This is a department-wide effort, uh, and there's a lot of cross-pollinization and integration that goes into it. Very good. Thanks for that explanation. Let me bring in Kenneth McNeil from the National Guard. Let's talk a little bit about your approach to cybersecurity as it relates to compliance versus outcomes. So from a National Guard perspective, it's, it's a little unique when we talk about compliance. So our domestic operations mission uh, for the homeland uh, we have to support uh, 54 states and territories in the District of Columbia. So, you know, working across the Doden and also with interagency partners that the National Guard uh, support every day brings the compliance piece into a unique, unique perspective. From a DOD perspective, our Joint Force Headquarters in the states that are supporting uh, lo local uh, operations and supporting the local state, they're on the Doden. And compliance from that perspective uh, is, is just like any other organization or agency within DOD. But from the interagency piece, um, we have to make sure as, as we are tied in and uh, we're working with other agencies that that need access to our data and vice versa, that we impose those uh, uh, capabilities in the compliance arena um, that is required. This, this, is, this synchronization is, is key for us because most of our operations it, is synchronization for the homeland. You're coordinating um, for uh, domestic operation equities with other agencies. Um, non-DOD. So for us, having those tools that the DOD has from our Army Guard and Air National Guard, which are tied to their services, is the key for us to leverage as, as we move forward working with those organizations. So it's a little different. The, the big thing is, you know, because of the Homeland Mission uh, and, and, and working with uh, those states uh, and, and territories, the compliance piece we pay close attention to because if an agency maybe is not in compliance or, or see it the way DOD, it, it brings us into a unique situation. So the tools that we use are cross-banded as far as making sure that we're meeting those requirements. So there's two things that kind of occur to me as you walk, walked us through this is, you have a compliance issue because duty requires it, but you also have a outcome because your outcomes are dependent on, for instance, uh, whether or not the Doden works or how to support different states in different areas. So would you discuss maybe just briefly the approach to cybersecurity you do take, whether or not it's, you know, outside of this kind of discussion of compliance versus outcome based, right. 
because you can't you can't support all 54 states and territories or you can but it's it, that adds a level of complexity that maybe a lot of other people don't have okay yeah from 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 a dod perspective in those states like i said the joint force headquarters are tied to the doden um and they're on you know the dod network it's it's not complex there uh the complexity uh of this um making sure that the interagency uh information uh sharing piece is unique with uh, with the states at the local level working with those organizations, but you know making sure that the outcomes, if if you are not complying uh, with the DoD standards, you, we can't let you on the network because we can't put the risk um, to the Doden based on uh, an, an an outcome that that. Uh, you may get the outcome, but then you just put the whole DOD at risk. So there's mitigating stand, uh, uh, it, uh, capabilities that we have out there at the local state level um, that tie in to make sure that we're in compliance. And the other thing that, that I would like to note, um, you know, we have, it, it's not like we at this alone uh, with the states, we have almost 4,000, airmen and soldiers uh, that are in the cybersecurity mission force and they work with uh, cyber command every day. Um, so we have a unique way of being tied in from a state level, but also um, the, the capability to work at, at the, the, the DOD level um, with cybersecurity. Excellent. Thank you for that explanation. Let me move to uh... Jonathan Fibus from uh, Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Uh, Jonathan, very similar to maybe some of the DOD folks, but also a little different. Talk a little bit about your uh, approach to cybersecurity, again, compliance versus outcomes. So we're hoping that by focusing on outcomes will lead to compliance. There was a time when we were focused on just developing uh, documentation or paperwork, as most folks called it. And having a paper security uh, program was not helpful to anyone. It led to a lot of outcomes that we didn't want to have. So by focusing on the tools and the data that we had, by focusing on the control points that FISMA gave us, and by focusing on modifying our process to make sure that we were improving our outcomes, we've improved uh, both the compliance and the outcomes that we derive from our security program. We're here to amplify the mission to make sure that what the NRC does, which is protecting public health and securing, uh, regulating the use of civilian nuclear materials, uh, both in power plants and uh, in diagnostics and scientific uh, arenas, that we are going to be providing value to that mission. So we're going to be helping the people who are out there inspecting a plant, inspecting a different type of licensee, a materials licensee, to make sure that the data that they're getting, their proprietary data from the licensee, is being appropriately protected while we are the steward of it. That it's leading to good decisions from a licensing and regulatory perspective, and that it's leading to a good outcome from a security perspective. So we've seen improvements uh, in the way that our IG and the way that DHS is rating our program on an ongoing basis. And we think it's because we've been focusing on the outcomes as the cornerstone of our compliance mission. When it comes down to outcomes, again, it goes back to, I think, something that uh, Linus was saying from DLA. Is that because you guys have taken a, a different approach to working with the mission areas? Or is there something else that changed from your perspective in the, in the CIO's office to approach cyber differently, like Stephen Hernandez says, which is, he, he credited FISMA, which very few people ever credit FISMA for much. I would credit the fact that we started talking to the business differently as we started moving some things to the cloud and we tried to figure out what the good applications to move to the cloud were, we got a very different understanding of what their information processing needs were and what their information security requirements could be. Um, that was one definite uh, corner uh, push to get us to move more towards outcomes. The other thing was CDM. Um, I'm sure we've heard more people credit CDM for improving cybersecurity than we have FISMA. But CDM actually gave us tools um, and platforms that were providing us a consistent view of, of data. 
And as we started moving from our in-house data center to our cloud to shared services, we started getting a whole lot of different inputs to our data. And we had to start asking questions. Is this really where this data should be? Are the right people having access to it? And as you know, Steve mentioned before, when we look at uh, least privilege or account management and access management control families in FISMA, we started asking the question differently. Should this person be accessing this data? How should they be accessing this data? And what should we do to control and monitor the privileges that they have? And as we started asking those questions, working with the business to figure out the sensitivity of that data, we started getting a whole lot of different outcomes and we started paying attention differently to our data. All right, very good. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue this conversation. You're listening to the panel discussion, Cybersecurity, Ensuring Successful Security Outcomes, sponsored by Optiv and Checkpoint on Federal News Network. Sophisticated, targeted cyber attacks on businesses and government agencies are on the rise. Combining Optiv's end-to-end security services and expertise with Checkpoint Infinity, a holistic cybersecurity architecture with the industry's highest catch rate and unified management designed to secure your everything, can better prevent breaches and protect your sensitive data from falling into the wrong hands. See how Optiv and Checkpoint can help your agency today at Checkpoint.com Infinity. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Cybersecurity, Ensuring Successful Security Outcomes, sponsored by Optiv and Checkpoint on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Now, gentlemen, for a break, we got to understand the move to, toward outcome cybersecurity, not worried so much about compliance. Let me take the next step there, because one of the things to get, I think, agencies and really any organization toward this idea of outcomes is ensuring that there's not silos, so that your security operations center is, not, is talking to your network operations center, that there's an enterprise view. Jeff, let me start with you. What is the key here? What, what should agencies, what should all organizations consider when they're kind of breaking down those silos? Yeah, I, I think one of the largest factors is that when we look at the capabilities of the adversary or the malicious actors in this case, that they're evolving much more quickly and much more dynamically uh, than the uh, IT infrastructure, the operational capacity of many organizations' uh, ability to um, identify and react in real time to these evolving capacities and capabilities on the malicious actor side. So I think this is where, uh, one, it, it presents an operational gap for many organizations to, uh, one, see what's happening uh, in, a, in a thorough way, but two, when it comes to response, to be able to provide the portability of controls that if they identify something in one environment to enforce controls in related areas but independent infrastructure. So. Uh, differences between, let's say, data center infrastructure and cloud infrastructure, uh, where there may be, uh, let's say, strong, uh, mature controls for email, but if those same files are, are, are downloaded via web download in a, in, a, um, in a SaaS offering or some cloud offering, um, that same attachment, that same file over email is blocked, but in, in some type of mobile consumption factor, it becomes a challenge. So I, I think, so there's two points there. One, um, the operational capacity of organizations to uh, flex or uh, adapt quickly to the uh, changing threat landscape uh, that, that is presented by the, the uh, malicious actors. And two, uh, the portability of controls across different infrastructure and asset classes um, that, that traditionally were, as you described, um, uh, siloed more, more discreetly. I think Jeff brings up a really interesting point, this idea that as malicious actors, as threats continue to evolve, if you're only looking at it from one perspective, you may be missing the other piece. Linus, walk me through this, because DLA is part of the Defense Department. I'm sure you are seeing a huge uptick in, in attacks and in, 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 in attempts to attack. How do you ensure that you get this enterprise view? Yeah, and, and in terms of attacks, yeah, that, that's a constant. Um, in terms of, of malicious actors um, uh, for very good reasons. As I said before, we manage nine separate supply chains from the department. So, so that's, that's pretty commonplace. Um, one of the things we've done over the last few years, and, and it sounds a bit counterintuitive, uh, through some organizational changes, our NOSC and NEMO were basically separated. We, we, we initially designed it where they were co-joined um, essentially under the same command and control. Um, <clears throat> when we unified cybersecurity across the agency, 
under myself into one organization that was a direct report uh, to the CIO, um, and it had a dotted line uh, report to the to the director's command staff group. Um, we, we had to make that separation. Now, they still have a symbiotic relationship where they still work together. Um, so we, we intentionally did not create a silo where they were walled off. So they're essentially in the same operations center under a separate uh, chain of command. Um, however, that, that aspect isn't as much of an impediment as it is to understanding the mission um, and understanding what's critical. So one of the things we did as an additional step was we embedded a, a counter cyber intelligence asset uh, within our cert. Now what that does is it allows us to, to add um, some attribution to some of the anomalous uh, activity we may encounter. Um, and it also allows us to, to better uh, execute you know, intelligence preparation of cyberspace. Um, so it is critical that those silos don't form. Um, and, and as I talked about before, the, the integration of, uh, of cybersecurity slash cyber resilience uh, with logistics operations is critical as well. So that, so that the aperture is open and you clearly understand where the mission could be impacted and you, you're able to apply some attribution to some of those anomalous things you detect. Jonathan, jump in here as well, because I want to talk, bring in the, the civilian side. What have you guys done with your NOC, your SOC? How have you been able to take your enterprise view? So over time, we've started integrating them. Um, a few years ago, we had them sitting in very different locations, actually in different buildings. Now they're sitting in the same room. Uh, which allows them to talk to each other when they're seeing things. But as we've moved uh, and improved our tools, we've moved away from, uh, well, the same thing as moving away from signature-based uh, protections to algorithms and heuristics. They now have a view of data. They're looking at the same data sources. They're looking at them in slightly different ways. But when something odd happens, heads pop up, they start looking across at each other and start working together on the issue. Um, sometimes it's something in operations, network operations that turns out to be a security issue. Something it's the, the SOC guys who notice there's a challenge and they start pointing to the network operations guys who clear things up. Um, but again, having data sources, having views of the dashboard, and having some intelligence behind that data to help us key on what's unusual and what needs more focus, along with having a very skilled staff who knows how to interpret the data that they're seeing on the dashboard, gets us moving through uh, all these feeds together and getting us better outcomes, which I think is the whole goal of, of having a cybersecurity and operations program. And as we move to maximum telework, mandatory telework, uh, and the number of endpoints that we have has increased exponentially. It's been great having these folks, having that relationship, being able to know how to find each other, even when they're together and apart. Um, so building on those successes has been a, a fantastic opportunity for us. Stephen, I'm gonna ask you to put on a different hat. Now we know you're the CISO at education, but you also have a hat, a, a quote unquote part-time job with the federal CISO council. And one of the things that I know has come up several times through OMB, through the CIO council, through the CISO council is security operations centers and the, the, to consolidate and bring them together. Can you just give, put on that hat for a second and walk us through some of the conversations that the CISO council is having about SOCs to ensure agencies do have that enterprise view? Sure. So, um, you, you know, we look at the, the president's management agenda and there's there's three pillars there. There's modernization, workforce and data. And when we look at especially that workforce and modernization piece, and in some cases the data, one of the natural outcomes was how are we optimizing and modernizing and in some places consolidating our security operation centers uh, across the board. And by far and large, the conversation hasn't necessarily been collapsing data centers, certainly 
certainly there are some agencies that are in that situation where they have that opportunity, but more so the discussion has been around optimization. And we've heard several of those pieces uh, from the other panelists, whether it's tighter integration with network operations, whether it's the leveraging and the maturing of threat operations, which is very important, whether it's insider threat or outsider threat, your security operations team needs to be on top of that. And they need to have those tiebacks into the encounter intelligence space. Uh, but the third one, which I think is very important, and it's something that uh, we at the Department of Education are working with on a day-to-day -day basis, is this idea that the SOC has now become a master collaborator, and it must be a master collaborator. In our instance, we don't own any federal data centers. We're 100% reliant on our cloud service providers and our colo providers uh, to be our partner in security operations and monitoring. What that means is that we, we have to establish connections and relationships between our security operations and the vendor security operations. And in our case, that's upwards of 36 plus major players and 100 minor players. And I, I, I love this quote, it's from, from Leigh Thompson. She's a professor out at uh, Kellogg School of Management in Northwestern. She talks about this idea that collaboration is like a good party and that uh, people show up at the right time, wearing the right thing, bringing the right things, because the host has established the norms. And I think that with our SOC, and as we look across the federal enterprise, there is that opportunity for the security operations centers to elevate themselves and make sure that they are establishing those norms, whether it's data, whether it's communication flow, whether it's establishing timelines and SLAs for all the partner security operations features so that when something happens, page the same tempo and we're all acting in unison to uh, respond to it. That's a great example. I love that. Uh, security operation centers can be like, you know, parties. Everyone knows, everyone knows the, the protocols, how to show up and do, do that work. Uh, Kenneth uh, McNeil from the National Guard Bureau, talk a little bit about your work around security operation center, network operation center, and really just the enterprise view of cyber. Yes. Um, so, so what we've done is we flatten out architecture by consolidating network and, and security operations. Again, the Guard is made up of a Army National Guard or Air National Guard, and we also um, leverage the joint service provider for our uh, headquarters element that's in the Pentagon. So for us, it was all about <clears throat> let's not have our own networks internal when when the big services already have networks so, so either you're airman or you're a soldier and you're leveraging those networks so what we've done is flatten the operation um, we've taken the direction of because um, you're more vulnerable you know with with uh, additional endpoints and, and and capabilities out there that you really can leverage uh, organizations that that have a, a you know, tighter structure. So we've taken that approach. We've also uh, been in support, my office, of the, the DOD way ahead, integrating uh, DevSecOps um, with both new and existing uh, uh, investments from the, the National Guard and from across DOD. So that has been a benefit for us. We've, we've uh, started that process almost two years ago. And that is working uh, as we look at uh, especially integrating down at the, the 54 states and territories in the District of Columbia that, you know, like I said earlier, they're also on that, uh, that network. So it's, it's helped us here at the headquarters, but more importantly, um, it's been a tremendous asset and how we are consolidated supporting the states. And on the air side of it, the Air National Guard has traditionally and still does ride on um, the Air National Guard network. And so we never really had a Air National Guard piece of the network. Um, so we just continue to leverage how they were doing business in the past, but on the Army side, um, of course, we're, we're tied in more with the Army um, being a part of the DOTI. And so through through consolidating, um, it is working, and we're also we've also went through 
uh, data center consolidation in our organ organization, which there were small data centers, um, but it, that's been a tremendous uh, help and 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 making sure that we you know tighten our cybersecurity posture. You bring up DevSecOps, and that's a good segue. We're, we're just coming up to a break, but I just want to bring this up. Does this mean automation orchestration is starting to play a bigger role for the National Guard as you look at your cybersecurity, as you're trying to deal with this flood of data that I think all of us are, are facing? Oh, absolutely. Um, we have a really uh, uh, tight relationship with uh, the DOD Joint Artificial Intelligence uh, Center. Um, and so we're, we're working closely with them to leverage capability um, that they're developing uh, for, for the DOD. And, and uh, we really are, are, you know, have, uh, you know, some promise in some of the capabilities that they're working on now as far as, as, far as uh, big data. Obviously, during this uh, uh, COVID-19 um, uh, situation that we're in now, uh, you know, with the states having to look at uh, data to make critical decisions uh, at the state level uh, in the National Guard and in supporting the, the governors, uh, there are capabilities that we're working closely with the Jake to develop. We see that as obviously the future. And, and this has to be timely um, information. Um, for course rapid decisions and quick decisions that uh, the, the senior leaders in our nation need, need to make. Right, we're coming right up to a break. So let's jump in and, and take that break. When we come back, we can either continue our conversation about automation orchestration or, or there's plenty of other topics to hit upon. You're listening to the panel discussion, Cybersecurity, Ensuring Successful Security Outcomes, sponsored by Optiv and Checkpoint on Federal News Network. Sophisticated, targeted cyber attacks on businesses and government agencies are on the rise. Combining Optiv's end-to-end -end security services and expertise with Checkpoint Infinity, a holistic cybersecurity architecture with the industry's highest catch rate and unified management designed to secure your everything, can better prevent breaches and protect your sensitive data from falling into the wrong hands. See how Optiv and Checkpoint can help your agency today at Checkpoint.com infinity. Welcome back. You're listening to the panel discussion, Cybersecurity, Ensuring Successful Security Outcomes, sponsored by Optiv and Checkpoint on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. At the end of the last segment there, we just started talking about this idea of orchestration and automation. And I think it's a huge key to really helping agencies understand and get a hold of their data. So Jeff, let me start with you on that question. As you're talking to your federal customers, as you're hearing from them, is that really the, the next big piece of the puzzle to really create this platform approach is making sure you have this orchestration automation? Yeah, so in the last segment, uh, Stephen commented about uh, collaboration being uh, uh, kind of the, uh, the, 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 the model for consistency of, of execution across uh, um, different pieces of the organization. And obviously, I'm paraphrasing here a bit. But, um, you know, I, th I think reflecting on the operational differences that, that exist between uh, what happens in the, in the wild in the threat landscape and malicious actors and, and what happens within um, eight different agencies and organizations that uh, the reason malicious actors are able to move quickly is because they collaborate very quickly, that they share information very, very quickly and readily without, uh, uh, you know, holding on to it as uh, being the gatekeeper. And I think that automation and orchestration provide the recipe and the ingredients for that type of collaboration within organizations and institutions so that when an application owner makes changes to different elements, that it doesn't have to go through a very uh, disconnected linear uh, or serialized process of business logic approval, technical logic approval, operational logic approval, and then we have to schedule it, we have to put it in, in uh, staging, and then we have to put it in QA, and you know that it allows things to move much more quickly based on the, the area of relevance. Now, the, the, the keys to being successful with uh, accelerating uh, automation and orchestration is, is twofold. One, essentially you're delegating some degree of uh, authority to some downstream element, whether it's the application owner, the different user populations, et cetera. Um, so there needs to be controls around that and governance around that type of, of delegated authority. Um, but the, the second piece is that, that the, the various infrastructure elements need to be able to talk to each other in a, in a consistent uh, fashion. And I think that's where the platform approach 
um, to implement in security allows for uh, much more diversity and uh, real-time linearity of, of um, in terms of producing the results uh, as opposed to this uh, very serialized process of business technical operation logic approval and uh, scheduling you know weeks and months out that allows us to move much, much more quickly. I want to bring in our DOD uh, panelists on, on this question too, because I think DOD is probably a little bit closer than a lot of the civilian agencies to having that platform approach, whether it's through the JODIN or something else through this U.S. Cyber Command is bringing. So maybe uh, uh, Kenneth McNeil from the National Guard, start us off a little bit. When, when you're looking at taking advantage of the platform that DOD is providing you for cybersecurity, what's, where's the, where do you see the automation orchestration piece benefiting the National Guard? This is a significant value, brings significant value to the National Guard and DOD. Um, in the last segment, I, you know, I kind of uh, mentioned uh, our relationship with the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, the Jake. Um, because of AI and machine learning, you know, our teams are using large-scale data analytical uh, analytics to identify malicious cyber and act, uh, activities across the different networks. Um, so again, for us, automation has, it, you know, it has identified attacks faster um, and we're able to collaborate, uh, of course, with our partners and in the states um, in a more effective way uh, to, to, to help them at their joint force headquarters. And also this ties into, um, you, you, I talked earlier about the working with the interagency piece of this and how they have to uh, coordinate uh, with, with, with local and state government. So this has been a capability that's really helped us. Now, is it fully developed and do we have, you know, everything in place? No, it's, it's still, uh, as they say, uh, uh, building an airplane while in flight. Um, this capability is only, only uh, uh, at, at the early stages. And, and from a guard perspective, it's gonna be key for us in the future to stay nested um, with the Jake and, 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 and also our service partners um, and, and big DOD as they you know, uh, look at additional capability and as this capability mature in the future. Linus, you wanna jump in and talk a little bit about D D DLA's perspective of, of orchestration automation? Sure. So um, when we talk, you know, automation and orchestration from a cybersecurity perspective, uh, you were correct in the fact that the DOD has been on this path at, at, at varying levels for some time. So uh, for some time at a rudimentary level, we've had um, orchestration and automation capabilities enabled by our host-based security solutions, um, coupled with scanning. Um, so those things would give you indicators of your secure configuration. Uh, compliance, right? Um, so we've been leveraging those types of things on all endpoints, uh, on all servers, all assets uh, relevant to uh, the network and uh, application environment. So we've utilized those things to kind of give us an idea of our secure posture with regards to configuration, patch management, those types of things. Um, but as this evolves, um, and when we talk automation, we're really talking about RPA, machine learning, you know, implementing those types of modernized solutions uh, within our, within this discipline. And, and that, that type of work is still in development. Uh, uh, are there, is there application for that? There, there is um, application for that. And uh, it'll, we will gain efficiency by perfecting that. Now that, that by all means won't, remove those incident responders uh, from, the, from the equation because you're always gonna need them to synthesize the data that's produced um, and take certain action. So, so everything cannot be automated. I know, I know one of the things we're, we're definitely implementing right now is Comply to Connect. Uh, and that's something that, that will help us with asset management. It will help us um, manage those things that connect to our network. Um, you know, we talked about COVID-19 and, and the issues it raised with the, with the mass amount of teleworkers. Well, DLA was in a kind of unique position there because we, we had done a number of things in the years past to kind of prepare for that. Uh, and, and, and a number of those things uh, um, resulted in us lessening our attack vector by, by implementing virtual desktop infrastructure, 
by leveraging user managed devices as opposed to having thick clients issued to all 30,000 user accounts we have at DOA. So, so those types of things have helped us, but we still have endpoints that are out there and we still need to be able to, to manage those boundary protections. Um, and, and again, you know, automation, that is the future. Um, are we there yet with, with RPA and machine learning? Uh, not yet. Uh, some of those things are being looked at today. Uh, we do see application and value in those things. Um, but those are things that come in the future. I'm going to go back to Jeff for a second from uh, Checkpoint. One of the things, as you heard Linus talk about, we're getting, we're on a path towards automation. We're on a path toward implementing things like RPA and machine learning. What's standing in the way of really going faster? Is it the data issue, too much data, not the right data, bad data, or is it the, t the legacy or, or as someone like prefers to say outdated technology? Yeah, I, I think the biggest challenge, it, it's, in some cases, it's not the right data. In some cases, it's too much data. And I think that uh, this varies widely by institution. Um, many organizations have uh, certainly, uh, certainly enough data to, to work with. Uh, the issue is it's too much data and, and how to separate the chafe from the wheat, so to speak. And I think this is operationally a very big challenge because when we acknowledge the hard trends associated with cloud, with uh, uh, obviously, we have a, a large work from home, uh, you know, across many institutions now. When we see the diversity of users and, and access requirements uh, from both those users, the devices they're connecting from, the infrastructures they're connecting over, um, and, and we apply that to uh, what we see from, a, um, um, from an access perspective, that the only way to uh, adapt and evolve quickly to these, the scale associated with these trends is to be able to automate uh, some of the controls around that and be able to separate from 11 million log entries, what are the three things I, that I need to be concerned with? And um, that requires uh, very uh, strong and robust mature solutions that can have a view across the entire estate, at the same time providing uh, intelligence and, and, and um, adequate intelligence across what are the three things out of the 11 million entries that are relevant to uh, have human exploration because there's no human capacity to dig into 50,000 events a day um, you know, at the scale we're operating. Steven, jump in here because with the education department having so much already in the cloud, uh, you think, I think you said 100% in the cloud, does that make a difference from a cybersecurity approach? Not just how you approach cybersecurity, but from the data problem, from adding these tools like RPA and ML, where is the education department at and kind of try to get a hold of your data and then understanding your data? Absolutely. And it's really understanding those native cloud capabilities that come with your service providers. Uh, some service providers have very robust capabilities, for example, to build data lakes and then put orchestration and automation around that. And in many cases, it makes sense to keep the workload for that cloud provider there. But then as Jeff was pointing out, start separating out the stuff that matters and getting that fed back to the centralized data lake. So for us, we've built a centralized data lake and that's where we're collecting all of those good nuggets that we're mining out of various providers. Um, and for us, as we look towards automation and orchestration, we're really following the zero trust approach, um, whether it's NIST 800-207 or we look at the ACT-I Act work and zero trust. We're saying, look, we know we have a lot of good data. Now, how do we apply the concepts of machine learning to make sense of it, use AI to start making decisions and robotic process automation to effectuate that change? The biggest challenge we have, and this gets back to that collaboration conversation, and I think both Jeff and Jonathan hit on it quite nicely, is that you have to have mature processes already established within your environment because automating garbage just means you get garbage a whole lot faster once the robots take over. And so, you know, if, if there's any security analysts out there worried that the robot's coming to take my job, no, absolutely not. We still need the humans in there to establish those gold standard processes that we then take in and we bring into the automation realm. And, and Jonathan, jump in because I know the NRC has been on a path to move to the cloud, probably not as far as the education has, but that makes you in the hybrid environment. So talk a little bit about how you guys are dealing with the data plus adding tools to it as you live in this hybrid environment. So we're trying to make use of the native tools that are in the cloud. Some of them 
as Steve mentioned, are quite robust. They're fantastic. The problem is some of them have different fields, different information, and apply different standards and interpretations to those data. So getting it back and getting it normalized is our huge challenge. And that's something we're learning in our hybrid environment. I think it's going to pay dividends as we move more and more to the cloud. The other challenge that we have as we move from security event management to security orchestration is that people are looking at a piece of data and interpreting it a little bit differently. So my knock folks see something and they think, okay, a process has gone off the rails and we need to look at this process and figure out how to get it back in true. The SOC folks are looking at that thinking we're under attack. I don't want them, uh, canceling out each other's response to that. Availability is one of the metrics we're looking at for uh, security. I need to have those systems, I need to have that data up and running. And if the SOC and the NOC responses are fighting each other and taking things down unnecessarily, that's not good. So elevating that data, getting that interpretation there and making sure I've got a person who has experience at this uh, helping our automation processes learn what's wheat and what's chaff in some cases. And in some cases, the automation process is teaching my analysts what's the wheat and what's the chaff. Um, right now, we need that synergy because we are trying to trust our data. We're trying to trust our process. Um, and as we want to move more fully to the cloud and more fully to a zero trust architecture, uh, we need to trust the data that we have and how we're getting through it. Well, Jonathan, that's a great place to end on. We could talk so much longer, but unfortunately we are out of time for today. So first let me thank my guests. Jonathan Fibus, the Chief Information Security Officer at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Stephen Hernandez, the Chief Information Security Officer and Director of Information Assurance Services at the Education Department. Linus Baker, the Director of Cybersecurity at the Defense Logistics Agency. Kenneth McNeil, the Chief Information Officer at the National Guard Bureau. And Jeff Schwartz, the Vice President of North America Engineering at Checkpoint. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time today. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the panel discussion, Cybersecurity, Ensuring Successful Security Outcomes, sponsored by Optiv and Checkpoint on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Optiv. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Cybersecurity, Ensuring Successful Security Outcomes, sponsored by Optiv and Checkpoint on Federal News Network.